There are four Gospels that tell Jesus' story. And out of the four Gospel writers, uh, only Luke really records this incident. One other Gospel uh, writer mentions it, but with no detail. But Luke unfolds this powerful story. And I I want to take you uh, to that this morning. And we're just going to kind of walk our way through it. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. The Bible says, And behold, two of them, two disciples, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It's now after the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus has now died and been buried. And they're talking about everything that has happened. And it came to pass... That while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. And then the Bible says something a little strange. It says, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So Jesus is walking beside them, but they don't know who he is. And uh, it it sounds like it's supernatural that, that God blinded their eyes so they couldn't tell who he was. But it could have just been that Jesus wasn't on Twitter and Facebook. It could have just been that. You know, they they may have always been in the back of the crowd when Jesus taught the thousands of people. Maybe they'd never seen him up close. That would have been very common in that day. But for one reason or another, they don't realize that it's Jesus that's walking with them. And I want to take you this morning into the middle of that conversation and and, uh, preach the word of God to you. Would you lift up your hands right now and lift up your voice and just tell God you're ready to receive from his word. You you didn't come to waste time. You came to God's house to hear God's word. You came to God's house to encounter his presence. Let's pray that out loud. The Lord would be so pleased with that. Jesus, we thank you, God, for this great church. Thank you for these wonderful people that are here. And today I pray that you would reveal your word to us. Speak it deep and directly into our hearts. God, we are not resistant to your word. We are receptive to your word. And so we want you to direct and correct and challenge and bless and encourage. God, whatever you have for us, that's what we want today. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. Would you turn that prayer into one incredible praise and just lift it up to the Lord? What a blessed people we are today. What a blessed people we are today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, Jesus. I give you praise, God. I give you praise. Such a delight to be here. You may be seated. As we pick up Luke's account in the last chapter of his gospel, it is the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus. All of the disciples are demoralized. Most of them are in hiding for fear of their life. Their hopes and their dreams have been viciously nailed to a cruel cross. Everything good in their lives has been buried forever in a dark tomb. Now we can sit here in relative comfort in this beautiful sanctuary this morning and we can kind of power up our attitude and we can look back at them and we can say, oh, come on, you should have had more faith. You should have believed and you shouldn't be discouraged. But see, we look at it with 2,000 years of hindsight. It's not the same for them. 
For them, it all died when they saw Jesus die. For them, everything ended when they saw the stone rolled over the mouth of that grave that now taunts them and mocks their faith. For them, there's nothing left to live for. For them, everything that was beautiful and wonderful is gone. And so two of the disciples, these two, they decide, you know what, there's no sense in sticking around Jerusalem. It's actually dangerous for us here. And so they pack up their little belongings and they head home to their little tiny village of Emmaus, which is about eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. And you know how it is with human beings when we've got a problem. It eventually comes out. So as they walk, they talk. And as they talk, it just starts to pour out of their hearts. For them, nothing is right in the world. For them, all is lost. And there's no reason to smile. There's no reason to have joy. There's definitely no reason left to believe. And you can criticize them if you want, but the fact is we weren't there. And, and as they're walking and talking and getting so discouraged mile after mile, a stranger joins them on their journey. Now, we know it's Jesus, but they have no such idea at this point. And, and it sounds like, you know, God just didn't let them understand that. And this stranger walks up to them. His identity is completely hidden. And he begins to walk with them and, and begins to talk with them. And he asks them a question that maybe... Uh, you've asked people to your regret before, how are things? You know, you can end up stuck in a church lobby for an hour and a half if you ask some people that question. Well, Jesus asked them that question. And as you can imagine, because they're so down and they're so depressed, they just dumped three full days of pain and heartbreak on him. Luke chapter 24, verse 17. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? What, what are you talking about? And one of them, we know his name, his name was Cleopas. He answering and said, really? Are, are you just a stranger in Jerusalem? And you seriously, you don't know the things that have happened there in, in these days? And he said unto them, what things? Like Jesus wouldn't know what had been going on in Jerusalem for the last three days. And they said unto him, and you can feel the pain in their voice, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Seriously, you haven't heard how our own chief priests and our own rulers, they delivered him to be condemned to death and they, they crucified him? You seriously don't know this? Cleopas is obviously the spokesman and he's quick to chide this newcomer, this stranger, for his ignorance of 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 what has hurt their heart. Heart-wrenching, heart-ripping and tearing events of the last three days. Are you serious? You must be the only person near Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened. How in the world could you be so oblivious to our pain? You seriously don't know what happened in the last three days. And then they just dump on it. Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet like nobody else. His words had such authority that when he spoke, we just marveled at them. And he did so many mighty miracles. I've got a cousin that was crippled and he healed him. I, I had this neighbor. He was blind, but Jesus healed him. Uh, he, he brought people back from the dead. He, he healed lepers, uh, incurable disease. He did so many mighty miracles. And because he was so awesome and so powerful and so good, 
We pinned all our hopes on Him. He gave us a reason to live. But Mr. Stranger, now Jesus is gone. We can hardly comprehend it. But our own Jewish Sanhedrin condemned Him to death. They passed Him over to the Roman government to be crucified. We stood there in shock. We wept openly without embarrassment because it stunned us. We could not believe that something so unfair and unjust would be done. But let us tell you something. For us, it's over. We did our little bit for king and country. We are done. We're going home. We tried. We believed. We, we, we were there. We, we, we amen when he preached. We, we were part of it, but it's over. He's gone. So, Mr. Stranger, we packed up our little belongings and we packed up all the shattered fragments of our little life and we are going home to our little village of Emmaus and we're going to settle in our little house and we're just going to band-aid the rest of our life. We're just going to piece it together. There's nothing left. We can hardly believe that our own leaders handed him over to be killed. They delivered him up to be killed. And as they're talking to Jesus, they use a word from that day. It's a Greek term, paradidomi. It's, it's a legal term. It's a, it's a term that means uh, from the judicial system to hand somebody over to be judged or to hand somebody over to go to prison or to deliver somebody up to go to a trial. But in the scripture, that word has a little sense to it and it's a sense of betrayal, that it's not fair. It's, it's not just. It's not right. It's not good. So it's to be handed over deceitfully or to be delivered up treacherously. Somebody's got an evil agenda. Somebody's got an evil plot. Somebody is doing something wrong. And so in Scripture, when this judicial legal term is used, it's always accompanied pretty much by this sense of betrayal, to hand somebody over deceitfully or treacherously. Now, in light of what happened to Jesus, you would expect the four gospel writers to use that term often, and they do, more than 70 times between the four of them. And Jesus himself uses this word when he's talking about what's going to happen to him, especially when he talks about that one man, Judas, who he knows will betray him. Uh, look, look at this, Mark 14, verse 10. Let's just take a, a quick bird's eye view here. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to, there's the word, to betray him, to hand him over deceitfully. When they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give Judas money. And Judas sought from that moment on how he might conveniently betray Jesus, hand him over, deliver him up. Mark 14, 18, as they sat and did eat, Jesus looks around the table at his own disciples and he says to them, Verily I say unto you, one of you that's eating with me right now, you're going to hand me over. You're going to betray me. You're going to deliver me up unjustly, unfairly. John 18, verse 2, that night in the garden, the Bible says Judas also, which betrayed him. There's the word again. Judas handed him over. It was so unjust and unfair. It wasn't right. It was, it was hatred personified. Judas, which betrayed him, he knew the place. He knew the garden because Jesus often went there to pray with his disciples. And then when Judas finally comes through, Luke records this in 22 and 48. Judas comes through with a battalion of soldiers behind him. And he greets Jesus in the traditional manner by kissing him on the cheek. And Jesus looks at him straight in the eye and says, Judas, really? 
You would betray, you would hand over, you would deliver up, you would falsely accuse and terribly misuse and horribly abuse the Son of God. You'd betray me with a kiss of greeting. It's everywhere. For many months, Jesus had warned his disciples, this is going to happen. It's going to get bad out there. He'd warned them over and over. He warned them, I'm going to be handed over to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over to be tortured and, 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 and it's going to be bad. And he just as clearly told them something else too. He said, oh, and after I'm crucified, I will rise again. But how many of you know the human beings, we can hear everything bad and miss the good? Yeah, that's what they did. The disciples, they, they heard all the bad news, but they never heard the one good news thing at the end. They just couldn't grasp it. Look at, look at how plain Jesus was. Matthew 20. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be betrayed. There's that word again. He'll be handed over, deceitfully betrayed, under the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And they will, here's the word again, and they will deliver him. They'll hand him over. They'll deliver him up to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And then the third day he shall rise again. And they heard every word except the good news. None of them understood it. Including the two that right now have just packed up, left Jerusalem, and they're walking to their little house in Emmaus on that winding dirt road eight miles long, northwest of Jerusalem. And they think to themselves, as the stranger talks to them, you know, unlike you, buddy, we were there. We were in Jerusalem. We saw Jesus handed over. We saw him passed like a sack of potatoes from one judge to another and one trial to another and one courtroom to another. It was the worst unfair, terrible abuse of justice we have ever seen. It was a mockery of justice. There, there were... There was political maneuvering. There were sham trials. There were false witnesses and hateful jurors. And, and we could see from the beginning that the sentence of death was predetermined. It was unfair. It was unjust. He was just handed over like, like a, a weakling, like a, a martyr, like a victim, handed over from one to another. Mark 15 and 1, straightway in the morning, the chief priests, they held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus. They carried him away. And there's that word again. And they delivered him. They handed him over to Pilate. You get down to verse 15. So Pilate, willing to content the people, the angry mob, he released Barabbas, a known murderer, a known criminal unto them. And, and here's that word again. It's everywhere in the Gospels. And he delivered, he handed over Jesus he delivered him treacherously when he had scourged him to be crucified. So, so here's what they saw. This is what those two people that were walking on the road to Emmaus, this is what they saw that fateful weekend. Judas had handed Jesus over to the chief priests. And the chief priests had handed, Judas, uh, handed Jesus over to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin had handed him over to Pilate. Pilate handed him over to King Herod. King Herod handed him back to Pilate. Pilate handed him over to the guards. The guards handed him over to the angry mob. It was a travesty of justice. And Jesus looks like the weakling. He looks like the victim. He's the martyr. It's so wrong. It's so unfair. And that's what's hurting these two on the road to Emmaus. They said, when we saw Jesus treated like that, when we saw that they were able to just hand Jesus over to be betrayed and then killed, 
It was like somebody reached right in our guts and just took our hope and just handed our hope over too. Handed our love and our joy and our peace over. It's like somebody just took everything away from us. And so, Mr. Stranger, you can judge us if you want. You can criticize us if you want. But there's no hope left in our lives. There's no peace and no joy. So we have given up. We did our best. We believe we were there. We were in the crowds. We, we, we loved Jesus like he loved us. We tried. There's nothing left. And we are headed home because there's nothing left to believe in. We're going to pack up what's left of our lives and we're going to try to get through the next few years. You can hear the heartache in their voice. Look at this, Luke uh, 24, 21. We trusted it would have been him that would have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, hey, Mr. Stranger, we didn't cut and run and like cowards when the trouble first began. We did hang around for three days. This is the third day. We tried. This is the third day. You know, we waited. This is the third day. We weren't cowards. But after you've had so much hurt and so much pain and so much loss, at some point, you just got to kind of just cover your head. And at some point, you just got to let that hard shell build around your heart. And you just got to give up. And that's what we've done. Today's the third day since these things were done. We tried. Oh, yeah, there was one other weird thing, Mr. Stranger. This morning, some of the wi women of our company, they made us astonished. It was uh, unreal what they said. They, they told us they went to the tomb early this morning. And when they got there, they found no body. And they came back and they said, we've seen a vision of angels. And the angels told us that Jesus is alive. And then there were some other people in our group that they went to the sepulcher and they checked it out and they found it exactly as the women had said. Um, no body in the tomb. Um, but they didn't see Jesus. You know what they thought when the women came running and told them all this wonderful news? You know what they thought. Crazy women. That's what they thought. Those women are delusional. They're just overwrought. The poor little deers, they just don't know. They don't understand. And so there's no body and there's angels saying Jesus is alive and they're all grieving because they just can't wrap their head around that it would be possible. Now, we're sitting in a sanctuary at a church this morning. 2,000 years later, we know the end of the story. So... We can power up and we can look down our long religious nose at them and we can say, you know what, you guys should have believed and you should have held on and you, you should have been there and you shouldn't have given up and you shouldn't have gone home and what do you think you're doing? But can I tell you, nothing hits us harder than when we lose our hope. Nothing. And you might be more sympathetic to them if you've ever had a season in your life when you lost your hope because when you lose your hope, it's like it knocks the breath out of you. It, it steals your joy and it saps your strength and it, it wounds your heart and it blinds your vision. It can rock your world. It can even shake your faith. And that's what happened to those two disciples. And it's very ironic what Luke tells us. It's the third day. Jesus has told them for months, and on the third day I will rise again. And on the third day I will rise again. And the morning of the third day, these two pack it in and head home. It's like, hello, could you have not waited till sunset just to check out, just if maybe, but they're, they're hurting. You don't think straight when you're hurting. You, you don't think clearly when your hope is gone. You would think after the women came back from an empty tomb, hello, 
with angels saying he's risen, you would think that they would have believed. But before you judge them too harshly, maybe you could think back over your last week or your last month or your last year and you could pick out an incident and remember times when your hope has been taken and your faith has been shaken. It is so easy, brothers and sisters, to think that at those moments in our lives, and it happens to all of us, it's so easy to think, I'm all alone. But Jesus is walking with you just like he was walking with the two of them and they couldn't see it. Jesus is walking with you even though you can't see it this morning. He's right there. He's right there. And that's when the stranger, after they dumped on him, that's when he could restrain himself no longer. And here's what he says. It's amazing. You are so thick-headed and so slow-hearted. Couldn't you have just believed what the prophets have been telling us all these years? Don't you understand? Jesus had to go through these things. Can't you get it? Can't you grasp it? Can't you see it? His suffering was just a pathway to his glory. His death was just the doorway to his resurrection. His defeat was really his victory. Can't you see it? Don't you get it? Don't you understand? Jesus had to do this. This is amazing. This is amazing. Then the stranger. He begins with the books of Moses and he walks them through the writings of the the prophets, the whole Old Testament. And he starts pointing out Jesus on every page. And I wasn't there. It's a way better sermon than what you're hearing this morning. But but, but let me give you like kind of what I would imagine. You know, the, the, the strangers talking to them. They have no clue who he is, but he's saying, don't you remember Genesis? Like God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. Don't you understand the God who did that? That's Jesus. Don't you remember Exodus when, when, when God told Moses, kill a Passover lamb and shed its blood, put its door on the house. And, and, and don't you remember that? Uh, that, that, that if you do that, the death angel will pass over you. And they were literally saved by the blood of the lamb. Don't you get it? That was a picture of Jesus. He was back there in Exodus. That was a picture of him. Don't you remember the wilderness wanderings when when they wandered through the desert and and for 40 years they're wandering and they would have died with no water in the desert except every morning when they'd get up, there would be a rock there with, with, with water flowing out of it. And they'd get water for the day and then they'd break camp the next day and they'd walk dozens of miles and then they'd go to bed that night. They'd wake up in the morning the same rock is there. The writer Hebrews later said, and the rock that followed them was Christ. <laughs> don't you understand that was Jesus back there? Don't you get it? You remember the three Hebrew boys, the fiery furnace, and the king gets his soldiers to tie them up, throw them in the furnace, and and, and just then something happens. The king said, wait a minute, what happened? 
We took three bound men and threw them into the flames, but that's not what I see. Who did something wrong? There are four men in that fire right now, and they're loose walking around, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Can you imagine that stranger saying, don't you get it? That was Jesus right there. Jesus is on every page of your Bible. Everything points to Jesus. Everything glorifies Jesus. Everything reveals Jesus. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. I don't have time this morning, but he walked through the whole Old Testament with them. They spent all afternoon. And then this happens. This is so awesome. Verse 28, and they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And the stranger acts like he's going to keep on going. And he would have gone further, but they constrained him. They begged him, saying, no, 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 abide with us. Because it's toward evening and the day's far spent. You've been with us all afternoon. It's getting dark. Just, just come on in and have, have some, some, some lunch. And so he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as the stranger sat at meat with them, he took bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it. And then he gave it to them. Now, I can't prove this because Scripture doesn't say it, but I think this is what happened. Because the Bible says that when he blessed that bread and he broke it and he gave it, that was the moment when their eyes were opened and they knew who he was. And then he vanished out of their sight. I can't prove this because this Bible doesn't say it, but I think this is what happened. All of a sudden, that stranger blessed the bread, very common practice. He broke the bread, common practice. He gave it to them. But when he passed that bread to them, all of a sudden, they saw something they hadn't seen all afternoon. There are wounds, mortal wounds in the hands of this man. Any normal human being would have bled out and died within minutes from those huge gaping wounds in his hand. But this guy has been walking with us all afternoon. This is Jesus sitting at our kitchen table. And then they knew it was him because he vanished out of their sight. Oh, and then they vanished too. Look at, look at this. And they said one to another, didn't our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way and while he opened the scriptures. You know how everybody's an expert after everybody knows? I knew it all the time. I knew when we were passing that big rock, I knew it was him. I knew. They, they, now everybody's an expert. Didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened the scriptures? And those two rose up the same hour and they hightailed it back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together, the other disciples and those that were gathered with them. And now the story has changed. The narrative is completely different. And they're all saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon Peter. And then these two jump in the middle of the conversation. And they tell what things were done in the way. And how we recognize Jesus when he broke that bread. It's, it's amazing. You see, it changed with just a little bit of revelation. They reached their home. They insisted the stranger come in. They're intrigued by what he has said. They've heard all the wonderful things he has said, but they're still defeated by what they have seen. You can come to church and be inspired by what you hear said, 
But then you have to go home to your everyday life and you still have the evidence of what you've seen. Can I just give you a piece of advice from a Canadian friend? Here's what you need to remember. Don't ever let what you see with your natural eye trump what you hear from the Word of God because the Word is greater than what you see with your eye. If God said it, it's true regardless of what everybody else is seeing. You see, they started that day. They packed up that morning. They got everything together and they headed out crying, weeping, brokenhearted, hope gone, heart empty. And all the while they're walking home that day, they thought all hope is gone. And they didn't realize that hope was walking beside them all afternoon. You may feel like hope is gone, joy is gone, but what you don't understand is hope is walking beside you today. Joy is walking beside you, and his name is Jesus. They didn't even realize that hope had just sat down at their kitchen table and was serving their bread. They didn't even see it, but it was true. It was when Jesus broke the bread, just like he had done at the Last Supper, that's when their eyes were suddenly opened to the revelation of who he was. It's amazing. He vanished, then they vanished. They ran back to Jerusalem. And by now, everybody's talking about it. The Lord has risen indeed. And only when they got back to Jerusalem and only when they got with all the other disciples and everybody's talking all over each other and everybody's excited now and, and the hopelessness has vanished and, and the sadness has vanished and everybody's, it's just a jumble of words trying to tell everybody, I saw him and he saw him and he was there and he revealed it. Only then does it dawn on them. Wait, wait, wait a minute. This was Jesus' plan all the time. They, they never got it before. They never saw it before. But now they can see it clearly. Because their eyes had deceived them. Here's what their eyes saw. Judas handed Jesus over to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin handed him over to the chief priests. And the chief priests handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate handed him over to Herod. And Herod handed him back to Pilate. And Pilate handed... Jesus is the victim. Jesus is the weakling. Jesus is the martyr. That's what it looks like. But then as they're all talking together, they say, wait a minute, don't, don't you remember? Remember what he said on the cross? John 19. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. This is amazing. And he gave up the ghost. That's the word paradidomy, a, a judicial word, a legal word. They weren't handing Jesus over. Jesus was waiting for that one moment of prophetic fulfillment when he said, it is finished, and he handed over his spirit. He was large and in charge the entire time. Didn't matter what it looked like. Didn't matter what anybody else thought. He was in charge the entire time. Jesus' life was not taken from him by the Sanhedrin or the chief priests or the Jews or the Romans. It was not. He handed his life over by himself. They only handed him over temporarily. He was in charge. Let me tell you something. Calvary was an ambush that the forces of hell did not see coming. It looked like death, but it was really life. It looked like defeat, but it was really victory. It looked like hell had won, but really heaven 
Jesus was in complete control the entire time. It was his plan all along. And the devil fell for it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> this, this is amazing. John 10. Jesus said this. They should have got it, but they, they missed it. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it back up again. Jesus said this all the time. Way back in John chapter 2, the opening chapters of John's gospel, Jesus said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Hell, you can do your worst, but I can turn any defeat into a victory. I can turn any assault of hell into a victory for heaven. You remember his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus? You remember that? Lazarus died and Mary and Martha are heartbroken. They are grief-stricken. And Martha meets him. And in John 11, she says, Jesus, how could you do this to us? We got word to you. You didn't even come to the funeral. And now you show up four days late. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What did you do to us? Why did you leave us? You left us alone, Jesus. And Jesus basically looks back at Martha and says, Oh, Martha, with me, you're never alone. Look look at what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying the worst case scenario can unfold in your life or in your home or in your marriage or in your health. But I can take hell's worst case scenario and I can turn that defeat into a victory. I can turn that mistake into a miracle. I can take what the enemy meant for evil and I can turn Turn it around and bless you with it. That's the Jesus that's in this room right now. That's the Jesus you've been worshiping this morning. Ah. Oh my. After his crucifixion, the Bible tells us something really strange. It says Jesus went into the grave because in the Old Testament... The domain of death was controlled by the devil. Adam and Eve had signed it over to him by their sin in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Jesus preached unto the spirits that were in prison. He declared his victory over sin and death and hell and the grave. And then this happened. Jesus walks up to the devil in the domain of death and said, You know those keys that you've been locking my people up with for generations? You know those keys and you feel so smug and secure and you lock them up in death and you lock them up in the grave and you know those keys? Hand them over. Jesus wasn't being handed over. He was in charge the entire time. He was just setting up so he could walk right into the middle of the devil's domain and say, I just turned the tables on hell. He said in Revelation, he said, I am he that liveth and I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I've got the keys to death and hell. And if I've got the keys to hell, I've got the keys to your health. And if I've got the keys to death, I've got the keys to your marriage. And if I've got the keys to your worst enemy, I've got the keys to everything else. 
I wish somebody lift up your hands and give God a resounding praise in this room. Yes, yes. If the devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house, why would you let him lock up your family? If the devil doesn't even have the keys of our worst enemy, death, why would you let the devil torment you with all kinds of junk? Stand with me, would you? There is one tiny little detail about Luke's story. There's one little detail about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I've read that story for years, and I've studied it. I've read some of the commentaries that talk about that chapter of the Bible. I've heard sermons. And there's one little detail that nearly every commentator, nearly every preacher, and nearly every artist that has ever painted a picture of that scene. It's like they all miss it. And I I wondered about that, because it's in the Bible. It's just as plain as day. Let me show you one last verse here. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. It's right there, plain as day. You see it? There was a man named Cleopas walking on the road to Emmaus, but it wasn't another friend. It wasn't another disciple. It it wasn't two guys that were walking there. That was a man and his wife walking on that little road, heading to their little humble home in a little tiny village, a man and wife. And as they walk and talk, their talk about their home is way different than their talk when they were with all the other disciples in Jerusalem. Do you know it's possible to come to a great church and be part of a great church family and listen to an awesome pastor preach the word of God and It's possible to go home and you can talk yourself out of the blessing of God on the way home. It's possible that your self-talk and your, your talk among your family can be the most defeating thing that you encounter. And you think, it'll never be different. My home will never be blessed like that. My family will never be restored like that family over there. And you walk home from church maybe every Sunday. And by the time you get home, you've talked yourself out of your blessing. You've talked yourself into the fact that, well, it's just always going to be the same. You've lost your hope. You've lost your peace. You've lost your joy. And I just came to tell you that just like that little couple, Jesus would like to walk home with you today. Jesus would like to go home and sit at your kitchen table. And while you're kind of unpacking the burdens that you're carrying and the sickness that you're dealing with and and the, the family fractures that you're trying to negotiate, Jesus would like to go home and sit in the middle of your little house. He'd like to sit in the middle of your apartment. He'd he'd like to sit in the middle of your living room and he'd like to make things new. He does that. Hope is walking with you today. I came here to tell you, you need to let hope walk home with you today. You've got to do this. He wants to heal you. Here's how much Jesus cares. That husband and wife, they were walking away from the miracle. The miracle's in Jerusalem. The resurrection's in Jerusalem. The empty tomb is in the rearview mirror. It's behind him. And they are walking away from the miracle. 
And Jesus loved them so much that when they were going in the wrong direction, making the wrong decision, going the wrong way, he caught up to them and he ministered to them all afternoon. And he wants to do that for you. We're going to come to the front as family. We're going to pray for a few minutes and God's going to do some amazing things. But, but before we do, could I get everybody like a choir? Could I get you to lift up your hands and then lift up your voice, this great church, and just give God praise. Saturate the atmosphere with praise and, and just seed the clouds with praise because God wants to help somebody. God wants to heal somebody. God wants to restore somebody. God wants to fix that marriage that you said can never be fixed. God wants to restore that teenager that you said they'll never be back. God wants to heal that sickness that the doctor said, I'm sorry, we're done. We can't do anymore. But we have a miracle worker in the house and he wants to walk beside you. He wants to go home with you today and he can make all things new he can fix what you can't fix he can heal what you can't heal he can do what you can't do oh oh just one more moment let that praise ascend there's something powerful in your praise there's something powerful in that praise today I worship you Jesus I worship you Jesus I worship you, Jesus. I I know we got a, a large crowd in here, but if you would just take a step toward Jesus, that would help. I'm going to open the altar right now, and as many as could, nobody excluded, everybody included, would you just take a step to the front? When you get here, would you come as close to the front and the middle as you can? And we're just going to make room for everybody, and we're going to pray as family this morning. God wants to change somebody's situation today. I know that I know that I know that. Just keep coming. We'll make room in the aisles for everybody to get as close as they can. It's going to be powerful as the church prays. It's going to be powerful as God's kids pray. It's going to be powerful as brothers and sisters pray. It's going to be powerful as family prays this morning. Just keep coming. Take a few more steps. We got a moment. We just want to make as much room for everybody as we can. If you're already up here, just take a couple more steps and let everybody get close. That's so good. Thank you for responding. Lord Jesus, right now in your name, according to your word and by your spirit, I pray, God, that you would release your grace, your mercy, your power, your forgiveness, your miracles in this place. Jesus, we invite you to do what only you can do. We invite you to heal what we cannot heal. We invite you to fix and repair what has been destroyed. Bring hope back. Bring peace back. Bring joy back. Bring blessing back. Bring healing back in the name of Jesus. Now lift up your hands and your voice and let Jesus do for you what nobody else can do for you.